Welcome back to the Compass Podcast. I'm Zach, your host for this episode. I'm also joined by Will. Will, thanks for coming on the show. What's up? How are you doing? Glad to have you here. This episode, we're talking about off-grid mining, natural gas mining, the future of Bitcoin mining in the United States of America, basically. And we're joined by two good friends, Austin and Marty from Great American Mining. I'm super excited for this conversation. We've had a few episodes in the past about off-grid and natural gas powered mining. Um, But this one is probably my favorite of the few we've recorded. So without any more delay, let's get started. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred listening platform. It really helps out the show. The Compass Podcast is presented commercial-free by Compass, the number one Bitcoin mining marketplace. If you want to get started mining Bitcoin, source hard-to-find ASICs, or find competitively priced hosting space, then check Compass out at compassmining.io. And now, on to the show. Austin, Marty, thanks for coming on the show. Excited to chat with you guys about... Uh, well, pretty much just about what you guys are doing, what you're building. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the call. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here, Zach, and Will. Yeah, appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have uh, you specifically, Marty, a uh, Bitcoin Hall of Fame podcaster coming on our show to have a humble conversation with us. And Austin, it's been a long time since we've actually caught up, so good to catch up with you too. Um, I want to start off with maybe a bit of a boring question, um, but I honestly don't know the full background of where uh, GAM, Great American Mining, came from. Um, so I'm hoping uh, you two can give us sort of the the Wikipedia rundown of um, basically where GAM came from and how you two ended up uh, here out of, I guess, anywhere in the Bitcoin space you, you could have gone. Yeah. Uh, so funnily enough, Great American Mining, we spun out of an ad tech company. Uh, known as Buy Sell Ads. Our CEO, Todd Garland, started Buy Sell Ads, gosh, I think in like 2009, 2010, maybe even 2008. And it's essentially a platform, a marketplace where publishers and advertisers can meet to facilitate uh, ad buys and sells. Uh, so publishers can monetize their content and advertisers can obviously get their products in front of uh, ad audiences that are likely to buy them. Um, and just the nature of that business uh, Buy Sell Ads was uh, doing business with Bitcoin-focused publishers uh, who were publishing content about Bitcoin and data about Bitcoin. Uh, and just through the nature of those relationships, the, the Bitcoin publishers, funnily enough, Bitcoin.com and Roger Ver specifically, uh, demanded that Todd uh, and BSA accept Bitcoin as payment for, ad, ad, for facilitating the, the advertisements on Bitcoin.com. Um, and part of the the stipulation there as well was that Todd had to hold the Bitcoin profits that BSA uh, garnered from those deals uh, on the balance sheet. He wasn't allowed to liquidate them. Uh, it was a deal if, if Bitcoin.com was going to do business with BSA. And Todd was like, you know what? Yeah, we'll make it happen. I, I don't know much about Bitcoin, uh, but we're, we're a profitable business and I don't mind taking the risk of accepting Bitcoin and holding it on our balance sheet. That was about 24. 14, 2015, and the nature of uh, that business made it so that, that BSA accumulated a significant amount of Bitcoin on its balance sheet. And come 2017, when the bull market was happening, uh, Todd <laughs> essentially said, All right, this Bitcoin thing's real. How can I help out next? He's very into the ethos of Bitcoin and the, the freedom enabling properties of the protocol. And he decided that he wanted to, to help uh, the network out in any way he could and he, he landed on on mining so uh, great american mining was literally formed at probably the worst time a mining company could be formed which is a, a, the peak of a bull market uh in 2017 
Um, and essentially we've been on this journey. I joined the team in April of 2018. Uh, we've been on this journey to find cheap, abundant power uh, for quite some time. And, and about the summer of 2019, we uh, honed in on stranded natural gas that would typically be flared uh, in oil fields. And Austin, when did you join us? And around then, like late 2019? Uh, yeah, it was like November, December 2019, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And I, so, and I think, uh, Austin and I, we've been friends in the Bitcoin space since 2017. I knew what he was doing with Bearbox, and I, I consider Austin uh, a, a pioneer in the modular containerized Bitcoin mining uh, niche, if you will. Um, and we were we were um, figuring out uh, again our our energy situation at Great American Mining. We, we figured, hey, we're gonna have to do this in a containerized fashion, a modular fashion, if we're gonna scale this business up. And I said, all right, we got to talk to Austin. From Bearbox, and um, he's Austin came up. Has been iterating on his container design since. I've uh, or I, I've been a huge fan of what you were building there with Bearbox, Austin, um, and I uh, super pumped when I saw you joined uh, Gam. How'd you or like? Are you just are you? I guess iterating on what you started with Bearbox, or can you tell me a little bit about your journey from uh, Bearbox to Gam? Yeah, so um, the design has. Design of our containers now it has some elements uh, from Bearbox for sure. I guess originally when I came on, uh, Marty, you guys were having some issues with the electrical distribution system of the uh, first container that got deployed up there in North Dakota, and uh, it was it was a manufacturer problem, not a Marty and team problem. And so we ended up ripping those out and uh, built three like PDUs to that form factor from scratch and shipped them out in like three weeks, and they still haven't broken. So that's that's a good thing there. Um, but yeah, I guess from Bearbox, uh, took some of the design elements of the container, which it's not, I mean, it's not super complicated, right? You just got to make sure that everything fits. Everything's um, not only that it fits, but that it has the correct spacing requirements to follow like any NEC or uh, authority that has jurisdiction over you is going to require them from the electrical perspective or even like an HVAC, uh, HVAC design system that actually works. And then building those for off-grid mining. Yeah, it's it's been tough for sure. Austin, given your experience in oil and gas, um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on like that industry is no stranger to the ESG influence. Um, like, do you see the same stuff they've had to battle and are still battling playing out all over again for Bitcoin miners, or are there lessons we can learn to sort of avoid some of the same headaches and stresses, or like how is this all going to play out? What what's to learn there from the history? Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. I think oil and gas industry is dealt with this for quite some time. And rightly so. There are some things um, in the 80s and 90s at the oil and gas industry that they were doing that weren't weren't right in terms of environmental stewardship. But I, I think ultimately the ESG narrative comes back to you know this, this great teal from uh, this great, I guess, quote from Peter Thiel, zero to one, about how in business money is either an important thing or it's everything. And only as a monopolist, like, can you actually afford to think about things other than making money, right? So- the entities that have monopoly profits or that are almost like, in a sense, pulling up the ladder and promoting the ESG narrative, I, I, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's anti, it's very anti-competitive. Um, and I think it, it kind of pushes all of the miners that aren't acting in that, in that fashion, in that ESG realm, it kind of coerces them into, into kind of, I don't know, like folding into that. And I'm not a fan. Um, I think it's, I think it's super short-sighted, especially for somebody like, like, Elon, who's come out, you know, verbally very much against the Bitcoin mining industry and kind of its carbon footprint or emissions 
um, who primarily, I mean, he lives off of government subsidies. He lives off of government subsidies. Tesla has forever. Their first big loan was from Obama. Like this is this is absolute insanity to want to appease this man. He is he is the government subsidy king. And at the end of the day, like I, Bitcoin's Bitcoin's not about that. It's about this ruthlessly competitive landscape in which one person mining here like takes away from another person mining somewhere else. And that's that's how it should be. Yeah, for sure. It's like. I don't think anyone disagrees that there it's helpful to have sort of like best practices for a certain level of stewardship. Um, I mean, there are, there are definitely some people who advocate for like a raw, uh, hardcore anarcho capitalist type environment. Uh, but at some level, like, you know, universally agreed upon guidelines for, for preserving the environment that we all live and work and operate in is a good thing. But when it becomes like a tool to leverage, uh, or a tool for leveraging sort of creating an edge for yourself when you don't really have one. It's just uh, very anti-capitalist, anti-competitive and, and sort of bad for business all around. It handicaps growth in the industry. As operators in the Texas market and North American market in general, I was wondering about uh, the, the odd dichotomy you see in Texas where you have like these bureaucrats who've kind of stored up plans for just continually engaging in uh, renewable energy, uh, particularly with like solar and wind. And then you also have Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, quite literally speaking at a Bitmain conference, inviting miners to that state. And as we know uh, from like research, certain forms of renewables don't work super well with Bitcoin mining. We've also seen that uh, the push from those bureaucrats to add uh, certain types of renewables that just can't supply the energy necessary to that market uh, has cost literal lives within Texas itself. Uh, all the while, there's energy providers and uh, producers such as yourselves who can provide for that market. So it's just like weird to see those two differences. And I'm wondering what you guys think about the bureaucratic state of Texas. Is that going to be alleviated in the next few years? Uh, do you think that the Abbott administration in Texas can kind of start steering things back towards oil and natural gas and getting the state on a, on a good footing with energy consumption. Austin, I'll let you jump in first. I got, I've got some thoughts. Yeah. So I'm not familiar enough with what Governor Abbott's done um, at the state level. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the production and investment tax credits that are offered to renewable generation and uh, those, those companies that want to continue to install them, import and install them. Excuse me. I think that you know, we we see miners in Texas who are operating on very very cheap wind, like negatively priced wind. Um, <laughs> that that can't last forever. A lot of that's just just due to the production tax credits that Congress actually renewed last year. They were set to run out. I think wind wind operators right now get paid like two point three cents a kilowatt hour for every kilowatt hour that they produce, um, and that's just a federal subsidy. And so yes, there's cheap wind in Texas, um, but I also think that. The intermittent requirements or intermittent generation of wind and solar uh, end up end up being an issue, uh, especially with how our current grid is is kind of designed and built. Um, whether that's in Texas where they have like wholesale electricity markets, or you know other places where they don't, um, it's it's always a problem when you have you know, a, a generating source like wind or solar that's relying on wind or sun that is you know kind of negatively imposed against this peak demand period in which people get home and turn on their air conditions in the summer as soon as the sun goes down and the wind stops blowing, right? And so what we saw in February in ERCOT, that's a whole bunch of stuff. 
that went wrong at the same time. Like with the wind stopped blowing, there was like, I think like eight gigs of wind offline. Um, you also had a nuclear generating station that went offline because of a, I think it was a, like a water intake temp sensor or something like that. And then a bunch of other stuff that was under maintenance. And so a long winded rant cut short. I think that intermittent renewables added to the grid pose more problems than they do solutions. I think in the short term, Bitcoin miners are going to continue to take advantage of that in places like Texas, especially with the backdrop of the federal tax subsidies um, that are kind of incentivizing this renewable generation boom. But I think long term, um, that doesn't last. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And the whole discussion around like renewable capacity versus uh, like natural gas, coal, nuclear, whatever it may be. It, it's it's very frustrating, right? Because um, the conversation around all this uh, basically devolves into devolves a new, very nuanced topic into a black and white issue. Whereas, obviously, the Great American Mining Twitter account, the podcast, my personal Twitter account, have been very vocal against the the push towards uh, wind and solar to replace reliable energy generation sources like natural gas, coal. And nuclear, um, and people take that to to sort of paint me personally, and maybe Great American Mining as a company as anti-renewables. But that's not the case. We're just anti-unreliable energy sources as a base load to to provide electricity to civilization to society. Um, I, I think there's room for solar and wind in an energy mix, but it has to be taken into consideration after you have a reliable baseload of energy generation provided by other energy sources for times of, of extreme demand, like we saw in February in Texas and have seen in uh, the summer in Texas as well. They, they have brownout warnings already. It's only July 6th. Um, and we, we've seen this in New York as well, where they decommissioned the Indian Point nuclear power facility that was providing New York City with a bunch of baseload energy. Uh, and they shut that down in April. And three months later, four months later, uh, you have the citizens of New York City getting emergency alerts to turn down their air conditioners and turn off their lights because they're uh, facing grid stress. Um, <laughs> that is due to the point, uh, the fact that they decommissioned this nuclear power facility that was providing uh, plenty of power generation uh, to New York City, and they did not replace it, at least not yet. I think they plan on replacing it with natural gas. That will be imported from out of state uh, because the state banned fracking um, for natural gas uh, within New York State. So there's just a bunch of illiteracy, uh, frankly, when it comes to energy uh, grids and the delivery of energy um, to people. People want a virtue signal about being environmentally friendly when it comes to uh, being all for the transition to solar and wind. Um, and another funny fact of this whole conversation is nobody wants to talk about the trade-offs or the supply chain um, dirty energy that goes into solar and wind uh, wind turbine generation um, production excuse me there's a lot of slave labor that's used there's a lot of coal that's used there's a lot of hydrocarbons that are used you have rare earth metal extraction to create the, the lithium batteries that are needed to to make sure that some of that energy can be stored um, and the whole conversation i think is is muddied by the fact that people just don't understand energy production and delivery yeah i i mean i agree 100 percent. i'm by no means an expert on it but i have had like conversations with people who know a lot more than me and my general impression is that some of the un misunderstanding or ignorance comes from the fact that it's just 
like a lot of things in Bitcoin, you can, you can meme pretty easily, like the self-sovereignty or the internet money or the, uh, scarcity. Those are easy to meme, but like energy mixes and energy grids and just like the energy market in general, I guess it's hard to, hard to meme that. Um, and you know, like memes are pretty universally easy way to digest and relay information. Um, I guess we just need better memes somehow for, for the energy grid. Uh, energy conversation. I've got a good one. Just you, you got a meme. <laughs> I mean, Will mentioned it. You, you meme the fact that these unreliable energy sources being relied upon for a baseload of energy is literally leading to people dying. Like it, it literally it caused deaths in Texas in February because people were sleeping in their car in the garage with with the engine on, and, and some froze to death. Um, it's. I mean, it, this is literally a. <laughs> A conversation about quality of life and survival. I mean, the, the the driving down of the price of energy and the increase of electricity availability throughout the world is is correlated very tightly with human flourishing, extended uh, extended life, um, quality of life, and that's primarily because of oil and gas um, and nuclear to an extent. Before they started decommissioning all these power plants across the world. One of my one of my favorite, I guess, pseudo memes along the same lines uh, is the fact that Bitcoin mining is an entire industry consumes a fraction of a percent uh, of the global world, ener- like represents a fraction of a percent of the global uh, energy consumption. Um, and like anyone who who tries to start concern trolling about Bitcoin mining, like your first question should always be like, why do you care? Like it's such an insignificant amount of power represented or like consumed by our entire industry. If you're cons- really legitimately concerned about the environment um, and like some sort of global warming from carbon output, uh, like why do you care about mining? Like there is so much other lower hanging fruit um, that you should be focusing on. It's it's just uh, it's an agenda driven focus, not really a, f- a data driven focus. Um, anyway, we could talk about ESG for hours. It's a fascinating mental model. It really is. Yeah, we shouldn't be appeasing these people. They are legit Marxists who want to control the economy. And the reason they hate Bitcoin is not because miners are uh, converting electricity into hashes. It's because they don't like that Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer distributed cash system that cannot be controlled. It means that you have a true free market and they don't want free markets. They want to control people. They do not give a fuck about the environment. They do not give a fuck about humanity. They want to control humanity. And they're going to do it via the ESG movement, or at least they're going to try. Marty, Austin, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've had a blast chatting with you guys. Anyone who wants to continue the ESG conversation, we're all on Twitter uh, and we all talk about it pretty frequently. Hop on Twitter and, and chat with us. One last question, though, for both of you. Considering just like the sheer amount of natural gas out there, what's your prediction, let's say, between now and the next halving? Um, for the amount of total network hash rate that you'll estimate to be powered by like off-grid flared or vented or just stranded natural gas. Um, like it may be like, it's probably hard to measure like how much is represented now. Uh, maybe a couple exahashes. Um, but like between now and the halving, uh, Austin, start with you and then go to Marty. Like what, what's your best guess? Ooh, when's the next halving? Like May 2024 or scheduled to be? Yeah. Yeah. Like about three years. Ooh, um, so I'll just pull up my model and see what I've got in here. Um, total network hash rate 
463 exit hashes. Out of that, um, I don't I, honestly, I don't know. I think there's there's so much natural gas. I had I had lunch with a state rep in Louisiana uh, last Friday, kind of talking about this because um, I'm from Louisiana and we've got enough natural gas to power the entire Earth for like 300 years, right? And so. I think, I mean, wild guess, maybe a tenth of that, maybe like call it 50 exahashes is like just totally off grid. It could be more though. I mean, it, it just depends on how the political climate changes over the next three or four years um, and kind of which jurisdictions rise to the occasion and make it easy for, for miners to come in and just really not have a, like a hostile operating environment. That's like, that's the the thing that we ask for, we, we don't want any favors, but we just don't want like a two tenths of a cent tax like Kazakhstan just put in, right? Just don't make the operating environment hostile. We'll bring jobs. Um, we'll develop your energy sources. We'll, we'll make a lot of Bitcoin in the state. And uh, I mean, what, what more can you ask for there? But so 50 exahashes, that's off grid, totally off grid, 50 exahashes. Love it. Love it. Uh, Marty, what's your best guess? It's hard. There's a lot of... Um... A lot of things that need to be fleshed out. Not all gas. So just, I guess, add a couple of of caveats to this conversation. Yes, there's a lot of flared gas. Not all gas is equal. Not all gas is located in the same place geographically. And so some of the factors that come into play are basically well flow. Like not all wells are going to have the the flow necessary to, to keep things going sustainably. Some gas has um, uh, basically pollutants in it um, that are... H2S specifically that make it uh, essentially impossible to work with in, in some instances. In some instances, you can you can scrub it out. You can use a bubble tower to, to separate that. But um, it's expensive. Uh, yeah, it's expensive. Um, so there's a bit of nuance. Like, again, not all gas is equal. Not every well is equal. Not every location is equal. Um, again, we're focused in the Bakken and up north just because from a climate perspective, uh, it allows us to run air-cooled units where in Texas, um, they're going to have to figure out cooling immersed systems in a modular fashion if they're using flare gas. So I think that's um, a hurdle that has not been um, has not been crossed yet for for a lot of operators. So that's going to take time to figure out and design and spec out and build out. Um, and just because Austin's smarter than me when it comes to this stuff, uh, particularly around mining and and hash rate, I, I think I'll go with fifty exahash as well. There's a lot of other factors too. I mean, what's going on in China right now? You have to take into consideration, like, is the is the uh, ban on mining going to extend to uh, the manufacturers of the ASICs and Bitmain and MicroBT? Like, I, I, that's something I'm currently worried about. Is just an escalation of the CCP's at, um, attack on the Bitcoin industry within its borders. Is, so if it extends to the manufacturers is that just put a natural curb on the overall hash rate that can be produced between now and the next halving. Um, will the CCP seize miners at the border of the, the miners that are currently trying to get out of of China and into countries outside of China? Um, will that artificially curb hash rate? Um, I think that that potential is there too. So there's many factors that go into this. Like again, on the oil and gas field, and then on the ASIC production and delivery side as well. Yeah, I think supply chains too. Like just to add to that, I know Zach, you and I um, had a short Twitter thread the other day with Hass McCook, who's convinced that you can just go buy like 10 million 2.5 MVA transformers like right off the bat, right? <laughs> yeah. To, to, to scale any mining operation, you've got, 
you've got lead times, you've got component lead times, material lead times to build the infrastructure required to generate electricity. And so, you know, 50 exahashes is, I think it's a stretch. Um, Cause like, I mean, even looking at the model right now, like every exahash right now with say an M30S is like right around 50 megawatts. So you're talking like 2.5 gigawatts, if my math is correct. That's a lot of that's a lot of electricity being generated, and there's not enough infrastructure on the planet right now to do that. Um, at least in addition to what's currently online. So yeah, I th- I think supply chain is going to be the biggest thing um, to to make anything meaningful happen at scale, whether you're on grid or off grid. Awesome. Well, awesome, Marty. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Uh, really appreciate you guys' input as always. Uh, go check out Great American Mining online, of course, uh, their website and then their Twitter account. Also check out Marty's awesome podcast. Uh, Marty, who did you just have on? I was listening to the Leo Zhang one earlier, but you just recorded a few more recently. And, uh, Edward Evenson from Brains and Slush on. Uh, Edward has lived in China and uh, had, the pools have a lot of unique insight into the Chinese migration because um, they're helping their Chinese clients facils- facilitate some of these deals uh with western counterparts or european counterparts scandinavian counterparts whatever it may be um yeah so edward provided some some very unique alpha as people like to say in the industry on what's going on with the china um situation specifically did he provide the what's my firmware yet or (laughs) not yet (laughs) i'm just playing it i'm just playing you know you'll be the first to have it austin awesome yeah, well, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with us. Uh, listeners should be uh, sure to go and follow you guys on Twitter. Uh, that's a wrap for us on the Compass Podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our original research and uh, articles on compassmining.io, along with our growing fleet of ASICs and facilities you can check out on our hardware and facilities tab. Uh, for Will and Zach, thanks. Thank you guys for having us. Yeah, fellas, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap for us at the Compass Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review on your preferred listening platform. Thanks again, everyone. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on the Compass Podcast are their own and do not represent the opinions of Compass Mining, Inc. None of this content should be considered financial advice.